you're listening to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. We've got you every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. here on the Score. Alongside Logan Grossman, I'm Nathan Dickinson. And joining us in the studio this week, a very special guest, the Fizz Master himself, Damon Amendolara. Damon, thank you so much for taking some time to hop on the show with us. Well, good morning, guys. Good to be on the, uh, the old Fizz Radio Airwaves. What's going on? It's not great um, as far as Syracuse sports goes. Um, if you haven't been keeping track, Syracuse is on the bubble. Football team isn't doing great. Lacrosse team isn't looking as good going into the season, but that's a lot to talk about. At we once. are 0-0 zero and zero in football as far as I'm concerned. That's We're all true. on to 2018. <laughs> uh, but we, we want to start talking about this Syracuse basketball season. Uh, you were at the BC game earlier, earlier this week. It was an impressive win, which isn't what you want to hear as a Syracuse fan in general after a BC game. You know, you want to be able to beat a team like BC, but with this team this season, just getting an impressive win at all seems like kind of a a big motivator for any fans out there. Really. Yeah, let's hope this is a building block for Syracuse. I mean, they had the week off beforehand, and so I think maybe the time off, middle of the semester, coming back for the new semester, that helps things out. Also, beating Pitt the first time around doesn't hurt. Get your confidence up a little bit. Obviously, the Panthers are terrible. And I thought that the big thing to take away on Wednesday night was just how balanced the scoring was. All of those different players in double digits showed that Syracuse can get offense out of multiple positions and it doesn't have to fall on one guy's shoulders. I feel like at times this season it's felt like some players are trying to take on too much responsibility, maybe try to do too much. If things flow like they did on Wednesday, if they shoot well like they did, it shows they can be balanced. And the early second half run, they went on an 11-0 run to begin the second half, just kind of created the separation, the comfort they needed from BC. So we know that the Eagles aren't great, but... I don't know how many teams in the ACC are great, and so that's a really good step, I think, for SU to, to begin this semester. Yeah, see, see, the thing is, if I'm just playing devil's advocate with that, you, you say the spread of scoring means that it doesn't fall on one player. When I see it and I look at the minutes played on that team, I, I see it as this kind of responsibility falls on every player just because you have those three guys, uh, Brissett, Howard Wa- Frank Howard, not Howard Washington, and Tyus Battle, who account for over 70% of the scoring, if any of those guys don't step it up one game, I really don't see anybody else on the roster that's going to be able to put in that scoring production night in and night out. So it seems like you kind of have to have a big three that's being a big three every single game. You saw, you saw that during the losing streak when Syracuse lost four straight conference games after beating Virginia Tech. At least every game, one of those three, if not two of them, didn't show up. And that's why they lost all those games. Um, against Florida State, Tyus Battle was incredible, but Frank Howard really wasn't very good. He had a lot of turnovers, got in foul trouble early in that game, was in foul trouble the entire game, and Syracuse ended up losing that game. They really do need all three of them because, as you said, they really don't have secondary scoring. Uh, Wednesday night was the first time you actually saw uh, five players get in double figures with Dolajai and Chukwu both breaking 10 points. Uh, Chukwu's gotten better every week, but he's not going to be a guy who's gonna, you can count on to get 12 to 15 points. That's just not what he is. He's there because of his presence in the 2-3 zone, 
uh, which again, he's still getting better at too every week. Uh, mm-hmm. His defense yeah. has been very good these last two or three weeks. Um, but in terms of offense, it's those three and really nobody else. Uh, Dolajai last night, uh, on Wednesday night rather, Jim Beheim said it. He's like, well, yeah, it was great that he scored 10 points, uh, but the reason he did is because BC just isn't very good at defending. And yeah. he said that, and you know, that's maybe not what you want your coach to say about a guy, but I think he's kind of right. That's not Dolajai's game either. Uh, he's out there because he hustles. Uh, he gets rebounds, and he's pr- he's been pretty good in the two three zone because of his length. But in terms of offense, it's three guys, and that's really it. I think though the the crucial part of this win though was the only way Syracuse goes anywhere this year is if everybody picks up more of the responsibility, and it can't fall on two or three guys. It it means that yes, two or three guys have to be better than they were, but everybody has to be better than they were. And if this is going to be a short bench, it's five guys or six guys. Everybody just has to do more. Everybody has to elevate their game from maybe the first semester or the first half of the season, it being at a six or a seven for players. They have to be at a seven, eight, or a nine. Because this is a team that, since they don't have depth and maybe don't have a breakout go-to scorer superstar, everybody's got to pull more of their weight. And, you know, when push comes to shove in the NCAA tournament, if they get that far, to get a win or two, you'll need a performance from somebody that's probably unexpected or somebody pulling more of their weight. And just to get to the ACC tournament and get some wins, same thing. So I hope that this is kind of a blueprint of everybody do more because the competition would suggest that you're going to have to do way more against uh, against teams other than BC to get a win like that last night but the, but, on, on Wednesday night. But then who is that person? Because I don't see anyone on this team that's other than obviously the Tyus Battle and Fred, the guys who have always been doing it. I don't see anyone who if – Two of those guys have a bad night. It's not like Marek Dolezal is going to come out and fill the hole that those two guys leave there. No, I think it's going to have to be defensively. I think if the, if one or two of those guys has a bad shooting night, they're going to have to win the game sixty to fifty-five. Uh, and uh, like what? Well, that's what kept them in the Virginia game. Yeah, they actually scored sixty points against uh, against Virginia, which is in terms of what pe- uh, teams have been doing against Virginia is impressive. It, their offense just wasn't very good, as expected, because they're playing Virginia, and they stayed in that game most of the way because they they did a good job against Virginia defensively. And this team has shown at times that they can be very good in that two three zone. Uh, they're tremendously long, both at the top of the zone and at the bottom of the zone. Uh, they gave BC a lot of problems on Wednesday night. Once they started closing out three point shooters, BC could get nothing going in the paint. Um, and, and really, all season, the teams that have beaten Syracuse have done it from beyond the line in terms of teams that have shot the ball well because when you have a guy who's 7-2 with a wingspan of close to 7.5 feet in the middle of the zone, it is tough to get to the basket. I guess the question is then, if you don't believe that anything is going to happen outside of basically Tyus Battle or Frank Howard pulling their weight, you're, you've, in, you've ended the season already. You're saying that there is yeah, that's no fair. way. that's fair. There's no way for their potential to be actually realized more than what it was mm-hmm. you know, in the first half of the season. Yeah, it's just that it's not that I don't think like Marek Dolzhai is one of the hardest players on this team, if not the hardest player on this team. He puts it out there every single time, but he's not a guy who right now is going to be the dynamic scorer who can catch it on the wing, create his own shot, do something with the basketball that's going to help Syracuse win games. He gets the 50-50 balls. He's a he's a pretty good passer and he can do some work inside, but it's not like he's going to become that player that Tyus Battle and Frank Howard are. And it's just when... Frank Howard has an off game or Tyus Battle has an off game, I don't see the ability like someone like, uh, let's say, Malachi Richardson 
had two years ago to be able to come off, step up in a big situation and, you know, not take Syracuse to the Final Four, but pull out a game when the scoring's not there. I think in terms of the offense, it goes beyond just having Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett having a good shooting game. I think just as important is limiting the turnovers. On Wednesday night, Frank Howard had six assists and zero turnovers. Uh, in those losses, he had within one turnover to assist. He was always right around even, a one-to-one ratio. You can't have that in your point guard. You're not going to win games when you do that. Um, and you're just not going to create good offense. If you're not passing the ball, you're turning the ball over, you're not creating good looks, you're not going to score. Uh, not only did they hit their open shots last night when they got them, but they were getting more open shots because the team was better, they were passing the ball better, and they weren't turning it over. They finished with 10 turnovers, which isn't a great number. It's not like you're looking at that and saying, that's incredible, what great job they did holding on to the ball. But when your starting point guard has 6-0, and zero, that's much better than it's been. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was... Going into the Florida State game, Frank Howard had still never started an ACC game and finished with more assists and turnovers. It was a small sample size, but still. And that's something that I'm – Frank Howard's like still – he's made, in my opinion, the biggest improvement of any player going into this season. But I think if SU wants to take that next step, he still is the player who has the most work to do just because it, it, it still all kind of runs through him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the question is, since Syracuse is not going to be one of the top four teams of the ACC – can they be part of the next four teams of the ACC? And that's probably a little bit high if you said five or six. But if you are at least in that realm, in that range, you win a game or two in the ACC tournament, you give yourself a chance to get to the NCAA tournament. If they can't elevate themselves to the top half of the ACC, then as you point out, the season's probably over. So the question becomes, how do you elevate yourself into the top half of the ACC, or at least the top ten to give yourself a shot on Selection Sunday? It's every single one of these guys having to do a little bit more. And maybe the only true potential is from Battle or Howard. Maybe you can think of a little bit more from Brissett. But it it really ends up becoming uh, a question of what can everybody do more of to elevate this team, who they can beat, and how many wins they can collect. Because there are winnable games on this schedule the rest of the way. There is a handful of winnable games but when you play sloppy, you turn the ball over, as, as we were talking about, um, and you play sloppy defense, you give yourselves no chance to win. So then do you think the part of people doing a little bit more includes getting the Howard Washington and Barama Sidibe a few more minutes, more than like five minutes per game? I think you, if you can test the waters in a game, I think you should. Sometimes you just don't have that availability. Sometimes you don't have that, that freedom because it's a close game. You need a basket here. You need to stop there. But if you can, a night like Wednesday night might have been a chance to do more of that. Because, yeah, I think you need – I think the one thing we always know is that Bayheim sticks to his guns, has a short bench, doesn't trust enough players. Mm -hmm. That is a problem for this team this year. Going back to what you were saying, Nate, there is not enough star power on this roster that you can lean on for the bulk of the scoring. So you've got to find ways that everybody can do a little bit more. And, yeah, that's finding ways to get more guys involved. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just Tyus Battle could easily be the person that Michael Benege was a couple of years ago or that Malachi Richardson was, I guess, when he was the star of this team. But the thing is that they, like Michael Benege had Trevor Cooney next to him. And, you know, there's other people to go around it. I don't think that the Tyus Battle Frank Howard 1-2 is enough that the previous years that we've seen more success out of the short benches have been able to do anything with. 
Well, I think, and also this, as much as Syracuse has had a short bench, on Wednesday night, once Moyer got hurt, he didn't make a substitution until the last two minutes of the game. And that's when Syracuse was up 16. He takes out Frank Howard, puts in Howard Washington because there was no point. Uh, I guess that he felt there was no point in playing those five anymore. I mean, this team last night, uh, on Wednesday night, essentially had a five-man rotation once Moyer got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so that that's beyond having six or seven men, five men, and who knows exactly the extent of Moyer's injury. Um, it sounds like um, you know, it sounds like it's a sprained ankle, which you never know. It could be a very short term or it could be much longer term. If Moyer is out for any extended period of time, you might be looking at essentially a five-man rotation, mm-hmm. it, assuming no one gets in foul trouble, because on Wednesday night no one did, so he didn't have to go. Chukwu didn't get in foul trouble, so he didn't feel the need to go to Sadibe. Howard didn't get in foul trouble, so he didn't feel the need to go to Washington. You know, it's a weird, though, final stretch of this season for SU because at this point, you know, they're 14-6, and six, and against Pitt later on today, this should be a win. Pittsburgh, as we know, is a disaster. They've got Georgia Tech. That's a winnable game. Georgia Tech is not a very good basketball team. Mm-hmm. They've got UVA at home. We know the Cavaliers are awesome, and then they got to go to Louisville. Even if you said those are two losses, look at the rest of the way. Wake NC State, Miami are all non-ranked opponents. And then you finish off the season with another game against Boston College. So those are winnable games there. But I think you've got to give yourself a chance to win. And the hope is that Boston College on Wednesday kind of set a little bit blueprint of, okay, against inferior opponents, not only can Syracuse win, but Syracuse can win easily. Mm-hmm. i got to ask before we go to our first break, just to kind of play devil's advocate again. You said you got to find the times where you can get those guys their minutes. Howard Washington, Barama Sadibe, the guys who just don't have Jim Beheim's trust yet. Where was it in the non-conference schedule is my question. Because right now, right now is when it's hurting you, and you use that non-conference usually to kind of get the feel out of who can do what for you where. And it seemed like it, Jim Beheim just didn't do that at all. Howard Washington rode the bench the whole time. Sadibe had an injury that was part of it. But it, it, when I'm watching ACC play now and not seeing the old guys out there and him saying they're just not ready, I'm thinking, why weren't you getting them ready in November and December? This is an inherent flaw with Bayheim's <clears throat> coaching ability and coaching um, tendencies is that forever he has not trusted guys that he hasn't seen enough out of. And maybe you can blame some of these guys for not doing more in practice, behind the scenes, things that we don't see. But in games, Beheim has always had a short leash, a quick doghouse, and a permanent doghouse. And it's a problem. It has come back to bite SU many times before. And I honestly feel like part of the reason that maybe it happened this year was that Beheim knew it wasn't going to be a great team. And so he had to find wins in the non-conference, and he couldn't tinker and experiment and figure things out. But to your point, it hurts them now. Because now you're in conference play. You've got to get wins. You can't go into the ACC tournament having won only a handful of games. And where do you find those other guys? I think because he always has lacked the trust in the unknown and needed probably more wind this year in the non-conference than previous years. It has come back to bite him, and that's where we are right now. All right, we talked a lot about what's been happening with SU basketball. After the break, we'll get into today's game against Pitt and then going forward with the Syracuse season. What does the Orange need to do to claw its way into the NCAA tournament. You'll hear it all after this on The Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on The Score 1260, 9 to 10 every Saturday morning. Orange Fizz is with you alongside Logan Grossman and Damon Amendolara. The Fizz Master, I'm Nathan Dickinson. 
We talked a lot of Syracuse basketball in the BC game earlier this week in our first segment. Now we got to get to the matter at hand. Today's game against Pitt. Uh, it's not a secret that Pitt is very, very bad. This is, I mean, a must win, even if you don't think Syracuse has to win it to get into the tournament later on. It's one of those games where if Syracuse doesn't win this game, it's big, big trouble. Pitt is a disaster. Let's just call it what it is. Look at what their losses are this year. Just in ACC play, they've gotten blown out by double digits by everybody except NC State, and that happened on Wednesday. So the only hope is, if you're a Syracuse fan, is that it's Pitt's not starting to turn the corner from a disaster and a disgrace into somewhat respectable and keeping games close. But that was at home against another bad ACC opponent in NC State. And otherwise, they just get thrashed every time out there. So later on today, Syracuse needs to not only win, but win easily, have a breather, not have to sweat it out, and then move on, as you mentioned, to a couple of other games that hopefully they can get victories in. Uh, it did, to lose this game, SU would have to play like worse than the Notre Dame game earlier this year. 100%. A lot, a lot worse 100%. Pitt is one of the worst teams, not only in the power conferences, they were looking like one of the worst teams out uh, in Division One in terms of, you know, the programs that you would think of as basketball programs. This Pittsburgh team hasn't won in over a month. Uh, this game's what? Today's the 27th. They haven't won since December 22nd, and that was a home win against Delaware State. Uh, this, this is a, not a resume builder. No. Not a resume builder. This is a team that just can't win a basketball game. And as DA said, they're not only losing, they're losing badly. You saw it, uh, whatever, last week, early last week when they came to the Dome. Syracuse didn't play well. Syracuse wins the game by double digits. Pitt is not a good basketball team. A disaster might actually be doing them a little <laughs> bit of a favor by calling them that because this program is in complete shambles. They have eight wins on the season. And this is not a team like I was telling D.A. during the break about Texas Southern who scheduled like six ranked teams all on the road during non-conference play and came to the Dome. Pitt played a bunch of cupcakes, and they lost several of them during the, during the non-conference. This is a really bad team. So let's really just talk about what Syracuse is going to do after this game. Because, if, look, Syracuse, this game's not a guaranteed win because nothing is, but it's as close to it as you're going to get. This Syracuse, we were talking about what has an eighty-six percent chance to win according to ESPN, and they're usually pretty good because they use so many numbers that I can't even wrap my head around. But and last time Pitt came, it was the highest chance Syracuse had to win any game this season. The question is, how does this make Jamie Dixon look? That that was a team that was oh, the yeah. NCAA tournament every single year, and and also consistently finding ways to beat Syracuse. No question, right? Mm. Always a thorn on the side of Syracuse. And Jamie Dixon leaves for TCU because they're basically going to shove him out the door anyway. And now they become essentially the worst team in any power conference and will probably not get a win in the ACC. I mean, somewhere in Fort Worth, Jamie Dixon is laughing to himself right now, petting yeah. a horned frog stuffed animal. And TCU started 10-0 and and was a top-10 team for a little bit there. Of course, a little bit of a drop-off after that, but still showing he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, Pitt is probably always going to be considered a football program because it's Western PA, and Pennsylvania is such a good football state, uh, and they've won national championships in the past in the Tony Dorsett years, et cetera. But the fact that you could be at that school and lose every game in conference, I mean, just shows what a cliff they have fallen off of. They lost to Montana. 
at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they lost to Montana at home. Not a resume builder. Not no. a good loss when it comes no. to unveiling selection loss. Sunday. <laughs> so let's, I, I guess, I don't want to say assume, but assume this is going to be a win for Syracuse today. Looking forward, Georgia Tech then after this, again, another road game. So two road wins, let's say, if you want to be a Syrac- an optimist about Syracuse basketball and say those are two wins. After those two, you're back to five and four in the ACC. It wasn't that long ago when Jim Beheim was at one and four and getting asked five straight questions about it. Now he's back to five and four. Are Syracuse fans going to kind of be a little less restless? I mean, no. not, not that I would <laughs> no, expect that Nate, from Syracuse Nate, fans. Nate, but, you've been here for four <laughs> years. You know much better than that. That's not how it works up here. But I, all I'm saying is five and four is just, it's the pretty number. Understood. And being a, it's a big deal, and Syracuse should win these games, because when you're one and four, the best thing you can do over your next four games is get to five and four. Uh, you can't ask for more than that over that four-game stretch. And it was a stretch where Syracuse hoped and maybe even expects to win four straight games with Pitt twice, Boston College, and Georgia Tech. Because then it turns tough again. Then a week from today, Virginia comes to the Dome. This Virginia team is dominant. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the country. Uh, some people are calling them the best team in the country, holding Clemson, a ranked opponent, to 36 points. Ridiculous what Virginia is doing. And then they go to Louisville, um, who only have two ACC losses. Uh, their last game on Wednesday, they put up a great fight in Miami. So it does get tougher again, and Syracuse could easily, in the span of five days, slip from above 500 to under 500. So with the, really the way to look at this, you can't necessarily just look and say, we're over 500, we're fine, we're under 500, the sky is falling. Look at the schedule. How do you get to nine ACC wins? I think also SU fans will be cautiously optimistic all season long, no matter what happens. I think they saw the non-conference schedule. Expectations were lower coming into this season than previous seasons. And I think that most SU fans probably know there's a ceiling on this team of, if they get to the tournament, great. If they win a game of the tournament, even better. But that they're not getting out of the first weekend. So I don't think that if they get to 5-4, and four, suddenly a bunch of Orange fans are going, you know what, this is a Sweet 16 team or this is a Final Four team. If they do, I think they're probably delusional. Well, they're, in the non-conference schedule, there were people that it's not. It's just At this point, though, no. I don't know if you can really make that case anymore. Uh, I would also ask this question. UVA, who is the best team of the ACC and one of the best teams of the country, Syracuse probably will lose that game. But is Virginia legitimately a Final Four contender or a national championship contender? This is a weird season in college hoops. Yep. A lot of normal blue bloods are not very good. It's a bizarre season when Kentucky in January is unranked. But UVA always seems to flame out when they need it most in the tournament. Do we believe that this Cavaliers team is legitimately a championship contender? I do because if you can hold an ACC team that's not Pittsburgh to 36 points – it means your defense is special. And we've said that so many times yeah. about Virginia. I mean, is it more special than previous years? I, I think so. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's just the defense, so. the defense has always been there, but it just seems like this year it's on another level. And I feel like they're scoring more. And I feel like they've won fewer games 55-50 to 50, than they have in the past. I feel like they're starting to win games 70-55, to 55, winning games by double digits while holding their opponents to ridiculously low numbers way below their season averages. 
Clemson is hurting right now. They've lost their two best players for the season, but they held a ranked Clemson team, 18th in the country at the time, to 36 points. I've never seen a ranked team. I'm sure it's happened. I've never, I can't remember a time a ranked team got held like that. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I would also, though, ask about Louisville. I mean, it's kind of amazing, and we all hate Louisville around here, but it's kind of amazing that the Cardinals, after the Patino disaster and, you know, resignation and controversy or firing, still able to be this good under a first-time head coach. I mean, you know, we were all hoping for Louisville to just take on water and implode. Why didn't that happen? How did this end up being a solid season for Louisville? I don't know, but I wish they could have given Jim Beheim some secrets about, you know, you get hit with sanctions and you're still a really good team. Yeah. Syracuse, I feel like, is still feeling those sanctions a little bit with the scholarship restrictions and, and just overall that cloud hanging over the program. But Louisville has had a much bigger scandal hit than they've had two in the last three years. And, yeah, you said they've been borderline top 25 all season. They're 5-2 and two in the conference. They're legitimately a good team. They're going to the NCAA tournament. I have no idea how they're doing it. And that happened on the eve of the season beginning. I mean, it wasn't right. like this happened months before the season. They had a chance to get everything stabilized. This happened basically right before the season began. And I don't know how much better they could it could be if Patino was still on the sideline. Yeah, Dave, I mean, you got to give just about all the credit to Dave Padgett. I mean, I feel like if when the offseason comes around, he's going to be a number one option for any teams that are looking out there for someone to fill a spot. He's just been outstanding. Now, I mean, even if you thought Louisville was this much of a talented team going into the season, you couldn't have expected them to be able to hold up to that throughout the year with everything They lost the number one recruit, too. Right, you lose your number one recruit, but still, it, people thought this was a talented team going in, but it's beyond that as to why they've been so impressive. Just the fact that they've been able to, throughout all this, just stay focused on basketball at all, really, is outstanding. And I mean, I, I give all the credit to Padgett. He's it's it's it he makes it seem like it's all been going on without a hitch for years. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and and in that town where it's Kentucky versus Louisville, the fact that at this point in time, Louisville loses Patino, every Wildcat fan is laughing their butt off. The fact that we are in late January and Louisville seems fine and Kentucky has all the problems is crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Kentucky it if falling out of the top 25 is the problem that you have, I wouldn't say Kentucky has that many I'll problems. I'll trade it. Like, they sound like Patriots fans <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah, I wouldn't say Kentucky's falling out of the sky, but you're right. I mean, if you had to pick a team, I'd want to be Louisville right now, right? I mean, Yeah, and look, when Kentucky's not ranked, it means things have really gone bad because, you know, pollsters are going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right, but exactly. But they're not getting the benefit of the doubt because they've had some really bad losses this year. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what you get when you play in the SEC, though, at least in basketball. You get, I mean, you've not that much competition. Even when you lose a few games and slip up a little bit, that people take notice. And this is probably a better SEC season than in recent basketball years. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's a weird season in college basketball. <laughs> All right, we're about halfway through Fizz Radio here on the Score twelve sixty. You're the back half right after this. Welcome back to Fizz Radio here on the Score twelve sixty. Logan Grossman here with you with the founder of Orange Fizz, D.A. The founder. The founder. The head. The boss man. The boss man. Fizz master. <laughs> we we lost Nate Dickinson, who was with us for the first two segments. He had to go do something like call the Syracuse pit game or something. That whole play-by-play yeah. thing that Nathan's going to do. Very cool. He's got the call a little bit later on today. And let's hope that, that uh, Syracuse gets this easy victory that they should. 
All right, so we've been talking right now about the present. What's Syracuse done this season? What should they do? What will they do? Right. Where the Syri- We've talked a lot about Jim Beheim, his, his lack of depth. His, you've mentioned his coaching tendencies. Where does Syracuse go from here in terms of coaching with Jim Beheim? He may be here. It's hard to know exactly how long. He's got a son coming in next year who's likely a four-year player. Are we looking at five more years of Jim Beheim? Certainly feels like that. I mean, you know, coming up to campus for the BC game earlier this week, talking to a few people around the program, everybody seems to feel like this is the clock beginning to tick on five more years. And it's kind of hard to fathom that, considering it felt like this should have been the final year of Beheim. You know, he's such a legend, he's such an institution that it's hard to imagine him not being on the sidelines. But this probably would have been the natural final season. And the fact that it's not, and the fact that not only is it not the final season, but maybe there's four or five more years, is kind of insane, really, when you think about the longevity of it. But he's a stubborn old guy, man. He's a, he's a guy that's a legend. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He's been successful, obviously, throughout this entire tenure at SU. So those guys don't want to go away easily. And, uh, yeah, feels like this is the start of the next four or five. Uh, what, what happened, I thought, initially, when he lost those wins to the vacations because of the sanctions against the program, I always felt that there was definitely a part of him that wanted to get 1,000. And he could be the first coach to, quote-unquote, get it twice. Yeah. Because he, quote-unquote, got it last year. Syracuse fans all know he got it against Virginia. He handed out his 1,000th loss. Yeah. I thought there was a good chance that he was going to want to see it where the NCAA has to recognize that he got 1,000 wins. Just kind of one more sticking it to them. No question. He wants that. He wants that bad. Yeah. Uh, But now that his son's coming, I don't see any way that he walks away with his son still enrolled in the program. Probably, it's hard to imagine. Probably not. The only way I could imagine that it happens is let's say this year they're an NIT team. And let's say next year with this incredible recruiting class, they're an NIT team again. If you have two or three straight years of not making the NCAA tournament, I know we had the Final Four and the miraculous Cinderella run a couple of years ago. But if you're starting to stack NITs, even with a great recruiting class, Maybe his pride makes him not want to stick around to continue to see it falter. Maybe he would also be, I don't know, there would be the pressure would start to be to build, but he's such a defiant guy that maybe he would combat that. But boy, if you had like three straight NITs in a row, I guess that would be the only way I would imagine he wouldn't finish it out. Unless we go the opposite way and say, if he wins a national championship, Maybe That's true. He goes yeah. out on top. I don't and know. And says, I don't need it. I've, you know, I've done everything now. I'm going right. to go out so I can't take it back. Right. Uh, I think that's a real. I, I don't see that happening, even if Syracuse doesn't become what you said, the multiple NITs in a row. If Syracuse. I, I don't see that. I don't see him stepping aside until he's ready. And I think he's, gonna, he's not going to feel ready until he has two things. His son is out of school and he's got the thousand wins back under his name. So, but let's talk about it. it is, he, is he staying with this program? Let's say he stays with them for four-ish, five more years. Can Syracuse do better? Can Syracuse have a better head coach than they have right now? Well, that's a fascinating question. That, within that question, you assume that Jim Beheim is still a great coach or a good coach, and I think he's a great name. I don't know of his effectiveness is still there anymore. I don't know of his 
commitment and his work ethic and his desire is still as much as it could be. And I would imagine it can't be anytime you do something this long. I mean, 40 years is a He's long He's the oldest time. coach in Division One basketball. And there's a reason yeah. that guys in their 70s have to walk away is that it is hard to remain disciplined and focused and committed. Now, he's got very good assistant coaches. They take on much of the game prep, game planning, watching film, recruiting, etc. It's just hard, though, fighting with referees, battling with kids in practice, finding, you know, the switch to motivate kids when you've done it for that long. It's just hard to keep doing it. So, I don't know if he's the best coach Syracuse can get because what happens if there was, let's say, a Shaka Smart type guy that's at Texas now, he wouldn't leave Texas for Syracuse, you wouldn't think. But what happens before he left VCU? Would Shaka Smart, and maybe it's not a great example because he hasn't lit the world on fire at UT, but what happens if you got the Shaka Smart the first three years out of VCU or you landed Shaka Smart or the next Shaka Smart and had him in this program for 10 years. You might say that if you found the next guy that's going to be great, it's better to have him before he really becomes great rather than holding on to what Bayheim has been. Yeah, and I think that to an extent, the game has, I don't want to say passed Jim Bayheim by, but he's, I feel like he's coaching the same way he's always coached, and the game's just not the same. The recruiting cycles, are, it's an incredibly different game with the one-and-done becoming as prominent as it is. Uh, I, I feel like just a different type of college basketball player now is is what makes good college basketball teams than what it was even only 10 years ago. And, and I feel like he's still coaching the same way, but the game's not the same. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I also think it's only natural that when you've done it this long and had this much success, you become wedded to your ways because it's been successful in the past. So for Bayheim, who has run the 2-3 forever and gotten all these Final Fours with it and won a national championship with it and come within a hair of another one, this is not the time in your career where you switch that. It's not the time in your career where you switch how you motivate guys. And I don't blame him for that because I don't. If I made anything successful over forty years, if I was still at CBS Sports Radio uh, forty years later, and I was, I had had all of this success, I don't know if I'd be so willing to change either. And when I talk about desire and work ethic and whatnot, I'm not questioning whether he naturally is a hard worker because you don't get this far without it. I just wonder how often you want to push yourself to the next level, find the new answer, be flexible because you go, I've got to figure out the answer to this question when you've done it for so long and have had so much success in the past. I don't think many people in their 70s change anything about themselves. True. You're not going to get someone in their 70s change the way they've been living for 50 years. It's just when you're you're set in your ways. And I think he is. And I think at this point, uh, he, I think he does love doing what he's doing because I think he doesn't know anything else. Um, but I don't know if it's the same desire in terms of the same places. It, it, maybe back in the day he had this burning desire to prove himself as a as a coach, prove that he belongs in this coaching fraternity. Now maybe he's motivated by, you know, this is what he does. Oh, I, I, I don't. I don't know anything else. I'm not going to retire because I just sit at home being grouchy watching someone else coach this team that I've coached my entire adult life. I think you're absolutely on to it. Uh, 
in the 70s and the 80s, there is a burning fire within Jim Beheim to prove his chops and to elevate the program. And against the behemoths of the Big East, John Thompson, Raleigh Massimino, the guys that he battled against week in, week out, night in, night out, that was a time and a place, Louis Carnesecca, where Jim Calhoun, everything was a fight. Every, every that was a territorial fight. I don't think he's in that mode anymore. You know, he, they've had success. They've gone to Final Fours recently, and that's a great thing. They've recruited very well recently. But is everything life and death the way that it used to be? It's just not the same for Jim Beheim, and I think he's very comfortable doing this as well. He should be, and he's earned some of that comfort. But with some of that comfort, becomes everything gets. I think, uh, watered down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we got to move on to our last segment, which is Fizz Feedback. Always one of the favorite. We get to hear from you, your replies to our Twitter questions that went out uh, earlier this week. So that's coming up here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Welcome back for the home stretch here on the score 1260. Orange Fizz Radio, Logan Grossman, joined by the founder of Orange Fizz, Damon Amadurala. Thank you for being here. Almost done. Wrapping up with Fizz Feedback, my favorite segment. You can always make your voice heard. Have your opinions read on air. Tweet us at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Go on Facebook.com slash Orange Fizz. And, of course, on our website, OrangeFizz.net. Leave your comments comments on any and every story that you find there. That's right. And if you do a good job, we will use it in Fizz, fizz Feedback every single Saturday morning on Fizz Radio. There you go. You heard it from the man himself. So we're going to get right into it. Tweeted out a few questions. And usually we like to use a couple of different people, but this one Twitter account, you know what? Loyal listener, you're going to get your name out here we twice. Uh, he has his name as Q's Basketball with an orange emoji. Perfect. And he's at 365 Q's on Twitter. And he replied saying, I asked, what chance do you give Syracuse to make the NCAA tournament? He said 60. 60%. Fair? High. I would say that's high. I give Syracuse less than a 50% chance of making the NCAA tournament. I think that performance against BC on a Wednesday is the first feeling of, okay, maybe they got something here, but they've got to build off that. They've got to smash pit today. They've got to, I think, come off after the UVA and Louisville games with two or three wins following that, and then I'd feel better. Until I see all of that happening, I can't give them more than a 50% chance. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I think it's probably under 50% because you're looking at it right now. I think the really realistically nine ACC wins, you're hoping that's what they can get to, and I think with that you probably need an ACC tournament victory. Yes. They've never won an ACC tournament game. Yeah. They, this is now their fourth season in the ACC, fifth season in the ACC. They have never won a game at the ACC tournament. And it feels hard to imagine this would be the team that breaks through. Exactly. And finally gets that win. So I'm with you. I mean, you know, so maybe we would drop it to like 30% that they got to get nine yep. wins in the ACC and then win one of the tournament. But you know what? That can all change a week from today if they beat Pitt and Georgia Tech and then they somehow beat Virginia. Right. And then all of a sudden we're having people telling us they're a Final Four right. team. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and we also asked. Going off of that, just how do you see the game going today? Uh, the same account, he says that Syracuse, he thinks, will struggle at the zoo because they always do. He thinks they'll win. Can you see Syracuse moving forward in a positive direction if they just squeak out a win? Do they have to, you said smash Pittsburgh, do they have to do that? Yeah, I think so. 
Because if you can't smash Pittsburgh, if you don't win this game by double digits, it suggests that you play down to the competition, even when you know you're superior, even coming off a game in which you should feel pretty confident about yourselves, when you are at this point of the season relatively healthy and you had just come off a week-long break. There's only the second game you're going to play in a week and a half, basically. So there really is no excuse not to. And if you don't, it happens to be Pitt's best performance of the season. It happens against you. Granted, on the road at Pitt has been a tr- it has been a trouble spot for Syracuse, but you just can't excuse away something like that. They really need to win this game big today. I, I think that's definitely a fair point. And look, Pitt, we've talked about it at length. Pitt's a terrible team. But not to go back too much into our last segment about Jim Beheim, but hasn't that been kind of something that his teams have done, play down to the opposition? No doubt. No doubt. And, I mean, the flip side has been they played up to competition. 100%. And when you never expect it, like the Final Four uh, you know, March a couple of years ago, they somehow rise to the occasion. So yeah, it's it's been, you know, it's a little bit like the Pittsburgh Steelers where they suffer losses during the regular season. You scratch your head. And then sometimes they play against the best teams in the world and they go toe-to-toe and can beat them. But for SU today, there is just no excuse to not win this game easily. Well, I mean, Pittsburgh also lost to Blake Bortles and the Jaguars at home. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's the kind of, there's the kind of playing That's down to your opponent. Good right? point. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a Pittsburgh. They gave up how many points to Blake Bortles? <laughs> there's a Pittsburgh theme in all of this, in this metaphor that we're using right here. <laughs> Yeah, I think Syracuse needs to go into the zoo. They need to dominate. Um, and you said it. I think it's more than just the eye test, quote unquote. I don't. Georgia Tech's not a good team, and that's their next game after today. But if you go in and you struggle against Pitt, they could very well lose to Georgia Tech. Yeah, if you struggle against Pitt, or God forbid, you lose to Pitt. I mean, how does anybody believe that you're going to win any significant amount of games the rest of the season? So, yeah, this. It should be an easy win, but it's also important for Syracuse to play a decent brand of basketball today to make sure that it's not a close one. Well, that's all the time we have for you this Saturday morning. You can hear Fizz Radio every Saturday morning, 9 to 10 a.m. on The Score 1260. You can check us out on orangefizz.net. Tweet at us at orangefizz on Twitter. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash orangefizz. Got to thank DA, the founder the, the the Zen master of Orange Fizz. Zen master, I like that. You guys are doing an awesome job. To our, all of our listeners on the Score twelve sixty, keep listening every Saturday morning. The best uh, Syracuse coverage every Saturday, and this is always available on podcast as well. Go to orangefizz.net to uh, check out the post of it, or go to iTunes. It's on there. You can always listen to the Orange Fizz radio, uh, Fizz radio, whenever you want. You heard it from the man himself. That's all the time we have. Enjoy the game against Pittsburgh today, and enjoy the rest of your weekend.